You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. What's up, Live Different Podcast listeners? I am here to tell you a little bit about something new we have launched via Under 30 Experiences, our new line of custom experiences open to any age, bringing together communities around the world. Literally, if you are a blogger, a fitness coach, a yoga teacher, or someone who has a community that you want to bring together to go on an amazing trip somewhere across the world, you should bring them down to Costa Rica. You should bring them down to Tulum, Mexico. We will organize your trip to Bali. We will go out there with Iceland with you and up to 20 of your closest friends, followers, community members, open to all ages, custom-experiences.com. That's what's new with me and the whole Under 30 Experiences crew. If you haven't seen it, check that out, as well as our new trip to Thailand. You guys are going to love 10 days from Bangkok up to Chiang Mai in the Highlands and down to the glorious islands of Thailand and Southeast Asia. Check us out, under 30 Experiences. And now, back to your regular scheduled programming. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Live Different Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Wilson. Today, we are in Chicago with Rajiv Nathan, Raj Nation, from the Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. Raj was episode number 16, Do What Gives You Goosebumps. We are here Raj's office, downtown Chicago, make a little road trip, go Packers, going <laughs> up to training camp tomorrow with my old man, and uh, Raj, do you still consider yourself a Bears fan? Uh, the funny thing is, for the last like several years, I'm a Bears fan, but I kind of have like secretly rooted for the Packers, like, ever since Aaron Rodgers became quarterback. Because outside of hating the name of the Packers, it's like I've, I've, I've always liked Aaron Rodgers. Like I always thought Donald, Donald Driver was the man. You know, like they've always had these yeah. like really cool players. So it's almost like like my, my brother and I and one of our friends for the last several years for during football season, we'll just have this like running thread, text thread, and we'll always kind of like we'll have a few things to say and then in parentheses secretly rooting for the Packers. <laughs> <laughs> that that's awesome. And, and before we get too sidetracked. Actually, I want to bring it back, but to talk about Aaron Rodgers, because you have good taste in athletes, and I might actually hear about other athletes that you like and and want to debate you on it, but you have good taste in athletes and in music, and you always root for talented people or or people who are good at their craft, and this is where I kind of wanted to craft the conversation around a little bit is how you have crafted yourself you are a rapper you are a yogi uh you have a new business raj nation innovation where you are a i don't know if you qualify yourself as a coach but you do coach people uh you're a pitch coach the hitch as you said earlier for startups Uh, we can talk a little bit about that Um, but you are as you said earlier, multi-passioned or passionate, and then we started debating whether or not that was a great term. You called it 
frou-frou or foo-foo. I'm not sure. Frou-frou. But Raj, do you think you could just tell people who you are? Yeah. I know that's so that's so difficult, but I was that's why I didn't purposely didn't tell you what I was going to ask you because I thought it would be a great way to start an interesting conversation. Actually, this is a question I've gotten really good at knowing the answer to over the years, primarily from what I did with the last business, which was helping people explain themselves. Cool. So like I had to figure it out for myself first, and who I am at the end of the day is the fundamental thing that I care about across. The final thing I believe in across everything I care about is this concept of expression. So everything that I care about has to do with the idea of expression, expressing myself, helping people express themselves. The vehicle that I have used over the years in order to bring out expression in this world is storytelling. So everything that I have cared about, not just today, but over the year, basically ever since I was like an adult or just a person who could think for myself, because I had to do some reflecting for this, is a vehicle of storytelling in one way or another. So that's like my Raj Nation Innovation, the business, is helping startups tell their story, right? It's storytelling in the name of expression. Yoga literally is a physical practice of expressing yourself on your mat. But the first yoga class that I took, I looked at it, like, as we were going through the class, I saw it unfolding as a story. And when you think about how a class is like a, more of a vinyasa class than anything else, and how the class is structured, you've got, it's like, it's like integration, and then you get to, um, it's going to sound bad, but I forget what the parts of the class are called. Uh, you got integration, but it's basically like introduction, rising action, climax, falling action, and then Shavasana is your resolution or whatever. And then you come back the next day for another story. The podcast that I do, Discover Your Inner Awesome, like I think the, the phrase, the title Discover Your Inner Awesome has expression built into it. And I'm allowing people to kind of share some of their stories, maybe the stories they haven't thought about because it's thought-provoking questions. And the rapper side of me, that's a form of storytelling, again, so I can express myself. And that's what it's, that's, like, when I realize that about myself, that's where kind of all the stuff that I've really put effort into over the last few years stems out of that. But even before I knew I was doing that, it's like, if you go back to middle school and high school, when I would play like the NBA 2K or the Madden video games, I had my own announcers going on in my head, separate from what John Madden is saying in the game. Because it's like, I want my own story to unfold here. Like I have like the, I have the Bears hometown announcers going on in my head, or I have the Bulls hometown announcers going on in my head. And I'm sure you know, like I have this never ending love of wrestling, right? Sure. Right, like the WWE, which is just literally, it's a, it's a story that hasn't had a rerun episode in 25 years. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. Uh, so I've seen you perform. I guess this was two years ago now when I was in Chicago and we recorded episode number 16. Uh, I got to see you perform and that was, you know, rap music is a lot about 
self-expression and you had a lot of really catchy lyrics uh, and not catchy in a pop music type of way but very unique you know you you talk about being brown and being a rapper being from indian background and your parents in the in the crowd at this rap <laughs> show and actually you had that actually you had a few times where you referenced your mom during your your show because <laughs> there you are rapping about who knows what right. you're talking about your mom but you had to apologize to her once I understand. <laughs> but then there was another one where you talked about having to be a doctor or or yeah. maybe that was what was uh, were the expectations of your family and then you had to explain to them, actually, you're going to – no, actually, in 20-something years, you're going to be coming to my rap show in right. downtown Chicago. Um, so – and you mentioned uh, reconciliation. I think you mentioned that before we started recording. But then you started talking about – Not in like a Christian way. In like a – Yeah, I don't <laughs> even know what the Christian <laughs> that, way that's means. That's like a thing that happens, I think, in Christianity. Okay, yeah, I'm not <laughs> even sure. But reconciliation and resolution, yeah. you just mentioned. So I think there's a lot of people out there listening and, and they're trying to figure it out in whatever capacity. And we're always – it's perpetually figuring it out. You have to figure out every day in front of you. But how did you go through – how did you go through that to, or through a big chunk of it to be able to become this unique person that you are today? Ooh, this is the tough question. Man. This okay. is a loaded question. Good, because I, I was pumped. You're like, oh, got it. I'm the first person. I was like, okay. <laughs> okay, I think a lot of this has bubbled up from the fact that. For a lot of my developmental years, I didn't really feel like I could step into myself in full form. And if you recall from some of those lyrics and some of my songs, I'll talk about that, right? Like, I got resistance of, oh, you're brown and you're red. Like, the, the line you're talking about, the sequence of, of bars is, I am kicking balls like you're thinking this is soccer. You're brown and you rap, that's cool, awkward. Phonet my rap name used to be phonetic. Phonetic. Why you ain't a doctor? My brother did that. I took a gamble on a proctor. That's the, that's the sequence you're referring to. And that's kind of like, only on the music side, like that's what I would face growing up. And even into college was like, who do you think you are? You can't do this, you know? Sure. And that, and I started to believe that in the sense that I didn't stop writing or trying to make music, but if I'm in my, my, apartment in college and let's say I'm like writing lyrics in a notebook and one of my roommates knocks on the door and comes in I'm closing the notebook and putting it in the drawer right away because I don't want them asking me questions and potentially making fun of me for it sure right? so that's what I kind of had to work or like my first mixtape I put out in college which in retrospect is not good <laughs> uh, but it's something but, sure. but yeah, you, I put something everybody's out. gotta put something out and I held like a release party for it because what's the best way in college to say, Hey, I'm getting a keg <laughs> free, right. free beer and take my CD with you. I had someone who was actually a friend just like break the CD in half and be like, hey, I'm not going to listen to this. And that's a friend. <laughs> Damn. So there was a lot of resistance I had to face and it. And, and I, more recently too, I've started to think about who am I culturally 
and a lot of that has come from the yoga teacher training. Like the one thing I was of anything I could have thought I was going to get out of yoga teacher training, which for a little over a year now I've been a teacher. I had no idea how much it would make me feel like more in touch with what I come from culturally. Sure. And I like that. And I've taken it upon myself to explore that further. But this is something I was thinking about in the last few months, you know, like in high school, your mom's packing your lunch more or less. Right. And I'm going to venture to say you love your mom's cooking. Yes. Right. And you probably brought some things she had, besides like a, you know, a normal sandwich, I'm sure you had brought food she had made the night before to, to school many, many, many times, right? Sure. And I was thinking very recently, isn't it weird, isn't it messed up that I never once, like I love my mom's cooking, but I never once, unless she made like lasagna, I never once brought Food, Indian food she had made for lunch at school because I didn't feel comfortable uh, having food that's quote-unquote different and having to potentially open up myself to a line of questioning or a line of not, not, not just questioning but a line of um, what would you say like poking fun at basically sure that I wasn't prepared for or wanted to deal with and then that kind of messed up that I did not feel comfortable like, to bring my own. Yeah, because my own the house. person that I know today is not that person. Uh, exactly. You know what I mean? That's that's really it. It's funny that you brought up the yoga thing because I was thinking of myself uh, about being a white dude doing yoga, and people assume you're there to pick up chicks, ah. right? And they're like, "Oh, just a bro stopping in to." look at some tight yoga pants. (laughs) And of course, when I started practicing yoga, however long ago, it was less, not accepted, right? Because the yoga community is very accepting, but it was, it was less the norm. And I thought, oh yeah, well, Raj is, Raj is Indian. So maybe that is a little bit more normal for him (laughs) to fit in 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 the yoga community. You'd think so, but actually in Western society, Indians are the minority in the yoga class. Shockingly, but think about sure. think about a yoga class. Just visualize it. Who are you thinking? Who do you visualize as going? Like when you think of a room of thirty people, who do you visualize? I mean, I, I picture a bunch of Lululemon models, right? Female, yeah. And I am actually an anomaly now as a Indian straight male yoga teacher. I'm a very small percent of yoga yeah. teachers, which, to be honest, I actually think makes me a little bit more marketable. Or a little bit more, uh, you know, what's it called? If I, if I want to go teach a class at the studio, if I want to get hired by a studio, I actually think it makes me a little bit better of a, of a hire for them because I'm, I'm different from the mold. For sure. And so that's where I think I always had a degree of me, even growing up, of like being a little bit different. But I've tried to be that within the mold for a long time. Right. And not allow myself to fully be myself. And I, you know, I, this, I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this. I've never really talked about this publicly before, or at least on a recording. But I remember having 
moments in middle school. And I'll tell you, middle school is just the fucking worst. <laughs> Everyone is so mean. And I, it's like, people are mean to you. You're mean to other people because you're deflecting that. Because like, everyone's just trying to figure out who they are and trying to fit in and just be accepted by their friend group. But, I mean, I had a lot of things thrown my way just because I come from a different background. Hmm. Like, I remember on, like, one of my Park District baseball teams, one of my teammates asked me, like, like on the bench, like, while our team is batting, and we're not up to bat, asked me, like, every game about, like, so what's this four-armed elephant got Ganesh all about, you know? And I didn't even know a whole lot about it at that point in my life. But, like, that's the type of associations I have hmm. at that point in my life. And I actually remember a couple different times just thinking to myself, like, God, it would just be so much easier if I were just white. Like, what went wrong here that that's not how I turned out? Hmm. Which is pretty drastic. I mean, I, I'm thinking about all this stuff in retrospect now because it's all stuff that I think for years I just had suppressed and not thought about. And I'm okay talking about it now because I've stepped completely like, to the opposite end of that spectrum. But I think now I've embraced the idea of being different and that being, it's funny because your show's called Live Different, right? Uh, but that being a good thing. And just recently I taught a yoga class that was a Bollywood flow class. So it was like Bollywood music, yoga, plus like some dance moves involved. It's a ton of fun. Cool. And I thought to myself afterwards, actually while everyone was in Shavasana, I was like, this is pretty cool that, you know, I, not too long ago, no part of me would have felt comfortable even bringing up this idea. Right. I've now, I have an entire room of people who are not my culture, who are not only accepting of it, but who are, who want to get involved in it. And that's a place I like to be in. Yeah. No, that, that's interesting. I'm just kind of taking that in. You, you mentioned, well, one thing that I want to bring up actually, before we get into breaking the mold and, sure. and how you went about that, do you think kids are more accepting these days? Do you think that we've made progress? Do you think that in the 90s when we were growing up and in school and it was just shitty and kids were awful, <laughs> do you think that kids are better now and that people are more, oh, that parents are now more open-minded and they've taught their kids to be more accepting or you think the same crap still goes on? I, it's tough because I'm not talking to kids every day, but there's a couple examples, or one example I can point to, which I, I think is so funny, but I will say all that shit that happened before gave me really tough skin. And, I, and for that reason, maybe it was good because mm-hmm. um, it built up that I have this whole idea of like you've heard of like having a risk tolerance and a risk profile I think what a high risk tolerance builds is high resilience a high resilience profile and that's something that I've been told that concept I've been toying with that recently like what is someone's resilience tolerance um, but in any case a few years ago I was at a friend's wedding and his nephew is in high school and one of our other friends, it was an Indian wedding, or it was not an Indian wedding, Indian guy getting married. And so his brother turns to the nephew. The nephew, again, is in high school. And Groom's brother is in his 30s. So he's been through all this stuff, in the, you know, like he was 
going in high school in like early 90s, mid 90s. And he, uh, the nephew who's in high school was holding candy, you know, the dots, little gummy candies. Sure. <laughs> and the older brother, his 30s, goes up to him, his own nephew, and he goes, Hey, dude, you're going to put one of those dots on your forehead? <laughs> and I was, like, cracking up because that's just, like, I don't know, like a classic, like, stupid joke people have made in the past. And the nephew was like, huh? What do you mean? And I was like, oh, this is, like, I was like, this is so sweet. Like, kids aren't making these jokes anymore. Like, how, yeah. how, how nice. How, like, I was like, how cute. And he was, like, totally floored that, like, that was a joke. So, I mean, there's probably still a degree of it, but that was an example where he just, like, didn't know that that would have been a joke. Sure. Um, and I think, but at the same time, I know, like, it wasn't until probably second year of college, and I hate this part about me, but I used to use gay and fag to mean stupid. I used to use the word fag, first off, and I used to mean it to mean stupid. Um, without ever having any sort of problem with gay people, it's just like you get, you're part of that, you know, it was like a mainstream word, I feel like, at that point. Yeah. And I actually, like, I hate when I'll get, like, the Facebook flashback things, and I'll see some comment I wrote in, like, 2009, where it's like, ha-ha, like, quit being gay or whatever. Like, I hate that it's there, and I'm like, should I delete it? I don't know at this point. And... You know, it was probably around, like, second year of college. I just stopped using, you know, that language altogether. Sure. Because it's not right. And it wasn't even, like, a belief I carried. It's just like, oh, that's the language you use or whatever, right? Um, and I don't hang out with anyone now who uses that term. And now, like, if someone uses it, I'm like, uh, we're functioning adults. Right. I went back home and I heard somebody use that. And I was like... Seriously? Yeah. And I know, I think your older brother is gay, right? Yeah, so younger sure brother, but yeah. Or younger brother, sorry. And sure. I, think, I would imagine that probably hits home with you. Yeah, I grew up using the words. Really? Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. I, absolutely. It was just, what, kids in my town, how they spoke? Yeah. You know, you pick it up in like fourth grade. Exactly. You know, totally, right? And so, the reason I bring that up is because another, I have a cousin who, she was in high school a few years ago. And I DJed like her sweet 16 party. And then so a bunch of these kids like followed me on Twitter afterwards. So then I followed them and I'd see like, one, what's interesting is they were using Twitter to like, like kind of how we would use text message, like to make plans, basically. They were using Twitter for that. But then also they were using gay and fag to call each other like idiots, basically. Hmm. So that even a degree of that still existed. Sure. So it's like on the one hand, it's like the one kid didn't understand dot on your forehead is, a, is you know, is like a Hindu joke. Uh, and then on the other hand, you have kids still using that terminology. It's probably regional also. You know, one of the first conversations that we ever had, uh, you came on an under 30 experience trip to Costa Rica whew, four, four years ago now, almost? 2014, almost four years ago. Okay. And uh, you asked me about rap. Who, who in hip-hop I liked, and I can't remember what I said or what I said at the time, yeah. but one of the artists that you asked me about was J. Cole, and yeah. I just said I couldn't get through his first song on that first album where he uses those words uh, so many times, and I know it's 
I guess, accepted still in the hip-hop community, or at least this was four years ago, so hopefully it's it's less. Not as much anymore. Yeah, I, yeah, I hope not, but we're like, God, I, I hear some old Eminem songs. And I, I love Eminem, and I still think, lyrically, he's the best rapper ever. I think but, we have this tough to listen to some of his yeah, songs now, right? it really is. <laughs> it really is hard. It really is hard. Um, okay, so... Definitely, we can leave. Uh, let's leave yeah, that yeah. Uh, because there's a lot to be said on that. But I think that was important that we we brought that up. Um, but we're talking. Okay, so talking to get back to about breaking the mold. So you're in college and your friend does something stupid, like breaks her CD in half and doesn't really support you and is just there to drink the free beer and thinks like, oh, this dude's kind of a joke, but he's my friend or, or whatever he sure. thought. Then how do you go, how do you continue to build the confidence to be able to perform in front of lots of people on stage or have over a hundred episodes of a podcast where you get to express your own ideas? I think it's little nudges in the right direction. So, first off, I would say, let's take the music journey. I kind of had to make a decision about, like, what does this mean to me? And am I taking myself seriously with it? Because if I'm not, why would anyone else take me seriously? Not to say I'm going to go become a multi-platinum recording artist, but it's a craft, right? And if I don't, if I'm not confident in saying I am a rapper, then why would anyone care to look at me as that? Because I think to that point, I was saying a lot of, oh yeah, I rap. But I wasn't saying I'm a rapper. Or if I was saying it, it was like, yeah, I'm a rapper. You know, I'd kind of mumble over it or not say it with any confidence. So I think, you know, over the course of a couple of years, I just, I worked on, better owning that and a lot of that came with just a shift in who I was spending a lot of my time with and I started being around more and more creative people so then the questions went from oh you're a rapper like the oh you're brown and you rap that's cool awkward instead of that it was oh where can I listen to your music like sweet like I, my music's here where can I listen to yours you know or I, I paint or whatever that might be right so I think the, the shift in the dynamic of the other people I was spending a lot of time with changed a lot of that. And this is like one of the things I talk to people a lot about is, you know, that idea of like who you're spending your time with is so crucial to your own development as a person, um, personally and professionally. And I liken it to the exercise mindset. Why do people want to run a marathon find a running group because it's much easier to get up at 6 a.m and run 18 miles for training and you got 15 other people doing it right sure so i think that same thing is true just for like these creative or non-creative things you want to pursue so it became more about because the friend dynamic started to shift and where i was spending my time and who wit started to shift and I had to make a kind of a conscious decision about that because I was like, if I don't feel comfortable sharing my goals, my aspirations with certain people, I'm not going to get anywhere. 
if that's who I'm spending the bulk of my time with. And I say I've disowned these people. It's just that I reallocated. Sure. And that started to build up the confidence. Just having a more supportive environment started to build up the confidence little by little by little. And from there, uh, you know, my, my second mixtape was called Having Fun, which was literally just me having fun. And I, it was a, there was a significant improvement over the first one. And then from there, I started to feel really comfortable. And then my third, well, my third project, which was an EP slash album, which came out a little over two years ago, was called Road to Redemption. And it was kind of about this process of having to redeem myself. Um, instead of trying to prove to others, I had to prove to myself I could do this with some like pride behind it. And I think that's where, again, it's, it's like little nudges. And to your point of how do I perform a show, how can I do 100 episodes of a podcast? Well, that show was the result of the last two years going to an open mic night. Like it, it started with an open mic night that I didn't even, that I was scared to do. Uh, but Martin, who we both know, my former business partner, him alongside with um, this guy named Rico, who's, it's funny because his, I think his Twitter name is a guy named Rico actually. He's the rapper in a really dynamic hip-hop funk group called Sidewalk Chalk, um, which is one of my favorite bands, actually. They're out of Chicago, but they tour na- they're touring nationally right yeah. now. I think you love their music, and they just released a new album, which I think is the, of all of all music I've heard this year, I think they have the best album I've heard this year. We're going to link like them Kendrick up in the show notes. Yeah, like Kendrick Lamar's album came out this year, and I think they have a better album. Damn. So in any case... I saw Sidewalk Chalk performing for the first time, I think it was in 2013, yeah. They were just doing this like, some startup was having a one year anniversary party and they brought them in to play for it. So it was just like at the office, whatever office it was. And I remember saying to Martin, I was like, every time I see something like this, I'm like, ah, that should be me up there. He's like, so why isn't you? I'm like, ah, I don't remember, I'm not ready. Then I went up and I talked to Rico afterwards, and I was like, yeah, this is really inspiring. And I said him in that same line, and Martin's standing next to me. And Rico's response was, so why don't you do it? And Martin's like, see? And then we talk a little bit more, and he's like, hey, I have this open mic that I host. The next one is coming up next week. I want to see you there. And then Martin's like, I'm going to hold you to that. And so it kind of made me go, and I was terrified, absolutely terrified. But the second I, I got off the stage... I was like, ooh, I need more of that. That felt really good. And so from there, it was just like one open mic, another open mic, and then finally, I think my own first, my first show of my own was a, was a house party, like at a dingy small apartment of my, uh, one of my band members where he lives. It was a ton of fun, though. <laughs> yeah. And what great accountability on... Part of Martin, I was just glancing. I was trying to look up what uh, what show Martin was, but we'll link his episode up in the show notes as well. Uh, but it's it's accountability. It's about hanging out with the right people, which is a theme that runs through almost every single one of our shows. And I always ask the confidence question because it's something everyone can continue to work on their confidence. And when they're trying to do something, I mean. Okay, sorry, it's called the Live Different Podcast, as you pointed out. You need some confidence to go out and live differently. Let's talk about my shades for a second. <laughs> we are inside under uh, 
toxic fluorescent lighting right now. And I'm, I'm saying that a little bit tongue in cheek, but, but not really. It's, it's fluorescent lighting is not good for you. Yeah. I've changed the behavior and started wearing blue blockers. Usually at night, I'm literally just never in a building during the day with lights on, but I happen to have these with me. And so I threw them on and then I was like, yeah, I'll throw them on. It's Raj. We're buddies. He'll accept me. It's cool. And then I was like, ah, oh, his co-host is coming for when we recorded your show. And I was like, do I wear them? Do I keep them on? Do I meet her with them? Do I take them off? And then she walks in. I'm like, I'm like, hot chick, hot chick. Damn it. No. <laughs> Literally, like my lizard brain is going through this. I'm like, and first thing she said was cool shades. And you responded with, yeah, they're stupid, right? Or something like that? I, I don't you, remember. I think you dismissed the idea that they were cool shades. The, you're right. Now, the idea of what I look like in these is pretty dismissible. They're pretty bad. They're $9 UVX glasses, and I really don't like how they look. However, what's not stupid is the reason that I'm wearing them to protect myself from these blue lights that are telling my body that it's 12 noon on a blazing hot day, shining this light in my eyes, screwing with my, my circadian rhythm. So yeah, totally. I discounted that. And, uh, but it's something that the, the point of all of that is, is that it's something that everybody struggles with when you're trying to do something a little bit differently. Uh, yeah, it's important to be able to build that confidence little by little. And at first, I thought it was really odd to talk about, not odd, but it wasn't accepted to talk about yoga and meditation in public because people thought it was some weird thing that you did. And to be able to step, it's a, it was a little bit, the, the, Glasses are a little bit outside of my comfort zone. And so trying to break down that comfort zone happens step by step. Moment, you build a little bit more momentum. You go to the open mic night and then you're like, oh, yeah, I really am a rapper. Okay, let me go and do a little bit bigger show at a house party. And all oh, those people actually really liked it. Let me continue to try to try to do that. Would, would you agree? Totally. And I mean, now I can say, and it's not like... I'm unique in this aspect because plenty of people have played at places like the Abbey Pub where you saw me, which unfortunately no longer, I think, I think it burned down or something. Damn. Uh, but, I mean, they produce a lot of local shows, so I'm not unique in this aspect, but I think it's cool to be able to say I've been on the same stage that Florence and the Machine has been on. I've been on the same stage that Jizza from the Wu-Tang Clan has been on, or Ghostface Killa, right? That's a pretty cool thing to say, but yeah, again, it's the little by little doing things when I'm not necessarily ready, but just doing them. And to your earlier point about, you were like, yeah, I threw on the glasses. Like, oh, Roger's my buddy. He wouldn't, he wouldn't care. When you put them on, my first thought was, oh yeah, Daniel wore those when I was in LA a while ago. I mean, I thought to myself, I should get a pair. Then I forgot to get a pair for myself. No way. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, and that's hanging out with the right people and also other people, right? Daniel, you meet the dude been on the podcast a ton of times. So you meet the guy and you're like, all right, this guy's a leader. If Daniel wears him, it's cool. And it, he's paving the way for doing that. You're paving the way for other brown rappers or other 
all of these different things that you do, which is I think a so lot important. of it is yeah, and I think a lot of it is to go back to that core belief of expression. I want I think you have to make a decision to step into yourself. And I want more people to be able to do that. And you have to take ownership for who you are, because who you really are and who you want to be. Because if you don't, someone else will take ownership for you. And they will claim your identity, or your identity will be, will be beholden to their standards or whatever. And it's not like it happens overnight, right? It's, it's hard. It takes a lot of feeling you're completely out of place. But now, I mean, I, I don't focus on the music as much now. I mean, I say that I also released an album earlier this year, but um, now I go up into the, I go into the startup community as the rapper who knows business. And I talk about how I bring this performance and entertainment and songwriting lens to business communication. And that's interesting and it's different. It doesn't mean I had to pursue being a rapper as the career, but I can use that to make me more viable in this community. And that's what I really like. And I even remember, you know, it was like, I think a couple of conversations that helped me really figure this out, that idea of like reconciling who am I, because I have all these different interests, right? Well, really, it's not that they're that different. It's that they're all vehicles of the expression and storytelling. But then even within that, okay, I still got to pick something and I've got to do something well at the end of the day. Sure. I can't just, you know, try and fly by or whatever. Like, I'm not the type of person to take the advice of like, oh, just be a whispering wind, leaf in the wind and land on whatever tree you fall. Whatever. Like, no, like, screw that. <laughs> that doesn't help me day to day. So... I think a couple conversations that helped me was one of them was with Martin, my last business partner who we mentioned, who, I mean, he asked me a few different times, like, why don't you, why don't you pursue music? Why don't you do that full time? You're really good at it. Why don't you do it? And I never really had a great answer. I was like, yeah, you know, like the touring lifestyle isn't for me. And I'm like already creating like the, the Jay-Z version of being that, you know. You already <laughs> went on the yeah. ideal lemon, your last business tour across yeah. Yeah, exactly. the, the West Coast. <laughs> so, you know, I would have like those answers. And I could always tell he wasn't totally satisfied with those answers. And then I think a better answer I had was I don't think – it's a grind I want to pursue in the sense that like, I don't think I want to be going to open mics every single night just to try and get someone to hear me. And so I can quote unquote, make it. And that was a better answer, but then I still had to formulate it a little bit more beyond that. And I had another conversation with a guy named um, Jim Vasilopoulos who hosts a show called the leadership podcast, which is one of my favorite shows. He's become sort of a mentor of mine. And I had called him about something completely unrelated. But then we started talking. And it was supposed to be like a 10 minute conversation. It ended up being like two hours. And he goes, he goes, look, man, like, I haven't known you for that. And he's in his 40s, so he's got some wisdom. He's like, I haven't known you for that long. I've known you for almost a year now. And when we first met, like you struck me as very intelligent. Um, you know, you had the podcast thing going on. Like you, you know, I heard you giving advice to people. It was really good. 
So I took a liking to you and everything. And what I, what I see when I look at what you're doing and when I hear you talk and everything is I, I, it's like, I see this kid who has a ton of potential. Man, I hope he doesn't throw that away because he can't just pick something. Mm-hmm. And he said, honestly, I don't care what you pick. It could be music. It could be the entrepreneurship route. It could be yoga. I'm pretty sure he's like, I'm confident you are going to be successful in whatever you pick because it's you. But you can't be a mile wide and an inch deep in everything. And that was a huge kind of wake up call for me. To an extent, am I still a mile wide because I have these different interests? Sort of. But that was, when I thought about that, I was like, because at that point I was still like, ah, man, I really feel like there's something on the music side if I just put the time into it. But then I had to say, okay, you know what? I'm 28 years old and I haven't put the time into it. Part of that is I think because I think it's a parent approval thing. And I don't know if I'd get the support of my parents if I did that. But I think if I really wanted it, I would have overcome that. Because you know what? They didn't really understand the entrepreneurship route, and I overcame that. And they're supportive of that now. So I looked at it, and I was like, I think I like the idea of the, of the end result. But I don't like the idea of the work that it would take to do the music. Mm-hmm. And while I get into very creative zones with music, where I'll just like do nothing but record tracks for a full weekend... Generally, I write songs and I record music when I feel like it. I don't do music when I don't feel like it, when I don't feel, quote unquote, like creatively inspired. And that's a sign that it's more a hobby than a profession. Whereas what am I always thinking about is my business or business related things. What do I read in my spare time? Business or like business psychology kind of books. Um, And I look at you know, let's say if a rapper came out with like an autobiography, I would look at that as a, I think I'm treating myself if I try, if I go and read that, not as a like core sure. kind of thing. So I think that for me was how I started to reconcile it. And I said, okay, the umbrella is storytelling. And what's my rank from there? Well, it's the business and included in the business is the podcast it's the yoga and it's the rapping pretty much in that order. Maybe the yoga and rapping can interchange, but you know, what makes me the money is the business and the yoga. Mm-hmm. And I can use the rapping to make, to better position me for those two things. And the yoga actually reinforces the business because I do some public speaking right now. I want to do more of it. And what I see the yoga part as teaching it is It is in a given week where I do no professional public speaking appearances at the very minimum, I am getting up in front of a room four to five times a week and having to improvise and take people on a journey in in a yoga room. Sure. Right. So at the very least, I'm licking my chops there all the time and it's reinforcing the main habit I'm trying to continue to cultivate and be the master of, which is storytelling. And that's how I reconciled it in my brain and why I'm okay now knowing that the opportunity to quote unquote make it as a rapper is not going to happen. And if it does happen, it's going to be because I became so good at something else that I am now afforded the liberty to basically do whatever I feel like. 
That that's really cool, and I I want to go back and touch maybe quickly because this could be an entire <laughs> other episode, especially with the two of us. Could you touch on the parents' approval part a little bit more? Because I know, I mean, everybody has had everybody had parents, and most people have to deal with this, yeah. no matter how old they are. You know, my mom is still dealing with this, and she's <laughs> sixty-two years old. <laughs> You want to touch on that a little bit? Because I didn't expect you to say that. I expected you to be, to be honest, past the parent approval. And, okay, yeah, I have nice lines for my mom in in that, but that's something I maybe had to go go past three years ago when I was first telling them that you were going to quit your job and and go into entrepreneurship. Yeah, could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think... So at the end of the day, the people who care about us want, just want to make sure we're safe and happy. Unfortunately, safety is equated to happiness. And I don't think it's, a, it's, it's considered like a causation. If you're safe, you're happy. But, and that's what, quote unquote, corporate life gives you, is safety. I, I could argue if that's true or not, but I, I guess it's more true than entrepreneurship is safe. So from that lens, like they're, it took a while to realize this, but they're just trying to like make sure their son or daughter just has a roof over their heads and doesn't, doesn't screw up. So I get it. And, but it doesn't mean I don't defy it at the end of the day. And I, and I'm more fortunate, I would say compared to more American born Indians in the sense that I was not forced to become doctor, lawyer, engineer, uh, I think very early on. I mean, they tried to like see like, oh, is he interested in science? Like, okay, you know, that kind of stuff. And my brother knew from the time he was like 10 or 12, he wanted to be a doctor and he is a doctor. But I that never really spoke to me. And I think my dad was really good about early on not enforcing this is the path for you, but just kind of always like, putting into me that whatever you're going to do, do it, commit to it and do it really well. And so there's always a high emphasis on like studying, you know, it's like you're in middle school or high school and it's like, wait, but everyone's playing. No, you're going to finish this math homework or you're not even just going to do the homework. You're going to study outside of what the homework is asking for. And that really helped. And, you know, you hate it at the time, but in retrospect, that's probably why now even when I don't want to, even when I don't want to do something, I'll still do it business-wise because it's like, no, this is what it takes. It's committing to something. It's it's doing something well, not just doing it. And I think what's interesting is the college I chose, DePaul University here in Chicago, the um, sort of like the creed, credo, creed, uh, the, not creed, the man, but <laughs> the saying, let's say. There you go. I didn't know. I didn't know what it was. <laughs> So the saying of St. Vincent de Paul, who the college is founded after, was something like, it's not enough to just do, you must do well. I think it's credo. Credo Credo. is like race, religion, and creed. You're right. Okay. So religion, race, and Scottsdale. (laughs) Right. So yeah, the credo is like, it's not enough to do, you must do well. And so it's funny that I'm choosing a college that I think unknowingly at the time when I decided to go there, I had that credo but the 
so it's always been like the, you know, do something better than the average, you know, and I was trying to sit there and be like, but a B is good. They're like, other people are getting Bs. It was like, why are you trying to be as good as them? You should try to be better than what they're doing if that's the average. So then you, when you talk about the approval side of it, they were never so like, no, you have to be employed kind of thing. They were always just like, okay, does he know, if he, this is the route you're going to take, does he know what he's doing? And I'll tell you, like when I left my job and then decided to do IDLM in my last business, I didn't really have any sort of plan or idea of what was going on. And that was where my dad's biggest concern lied. He was like, and I kept trying to get away with like, no, like I'll figure it out, you know? And he was like, that's not how it works. Like you have to like know like what you're like, who are you trying to sell to? And like, and he was trying to tell me, he was like, the money's going to be where the companies are. Go and do workshops and trainings there. Quit trying to go after all these individuals who don't make a whole lot of money and you're trying to get a few hundred dollars from them. It's like, go where the money is. And I just didn't listen. I didn't listen. I didn't listen. So that was kind of the, the guidance I got there. My mom's kind of been always more, well, she's been supportive, more in the camp of like, I just hope my baby can eat, you know, that kind of thing. Like, mm -hmm. oh, like you should get a job, that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, even amidst that journey, there was some like, are you sure you don't want to like consider grad school or are you sure you don't want to consider going back to a job? So fortunately, they haven't been, they've been pretty good about knowing I was born a little bit different and uh, live different. There it is again. And supporting me however they could. But whenever I brought up the music side to my dad, he's always been like, oh, but that's just like your fun hobby. And I've always been like, no, what the <laughs> hell? Like, Screw you, dad. And ultimately, I think he's right. I don't think it's, it's quote-unquote fun hobby. It is actually like an element to make me more of who I am, to allow me to do the business stuff better. But that's where if I went to him, say, tomorrow and was like, Dad, I want to pursue being a rapper full-time, I would not have his endorsement. And I don't know if I'd be able to... It's, it's almost like, it's not that I don't know if I'd be able to proceed with that. It's that I don't know if I'm able to have that, even have that conversation with him. No, that makes, that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, I know that was a long pause. Uh, but yeah, it, it makes perfect sense. I'm curious because you brought up something uh, in college. Could, first of all, could you repeat the credo? Of DePaul. I'm, I'm getting it a little bit wrong in terms of the exact verbiage, but it's it's basically, it's not enough to do, you must do well. You must do well. How do you think that college, you don't have to speak specifically about DePaul University, but how do you think that that university education was able to help you do well in the real world? Do you believe in college is what I'm trying to ask. I do. About. I'm actually, I'm not in the camp of college. You know, I know like our friend Daniel loves to say college is dead. But even if you're really talking about it, he's like the idea or like the institution of college sucks, but learning is good. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm not in the camp that you should not go to college. I think you should understand what's right for you and not automatically go to college. But and that's hard at 18. Totally. To know no, what's right is. for you. And I, and I think it is kind of crazy to like, be like, pick what you want to do for the rest of your life when you just graduated high school and figure it out in the next four years. I think that's a sort of ridiculous ask of people. I agree. But, I mean, DePaul specifically, like, I had such a good education there that it totally prepped me for this crazy world of entrepreneurship. But I think it's because of the, the 
it's the approach I took to it. They had a good structure there where it was small class. I think you went to what, Babbage is what it's called? <laughs> I think you Babson. just Babson. I didn't go to Babson. Uh, I Bryant. went to Bryant. Bryant, that's yes. right. Bryant, Bentley, and Babson were the three Bs? That's right. Okay. And at Bryant, they told me, oh, you should have gone to Babson if you were interested in entrepreneurship. See, so DePaul's approach is very – I think they were better in the sense, and I think this – I think – Babson was a, or Brian was a smaller school, mm-hmm. but DePaul, like the classes were like 20, 30 people. And like, I'm still very close with a handful of my professors from college. Sure. I graduated what, six years ago now. Sure. And I think it's a combination of like, I think they had structured in a good way and the specific program I chose to take, which was my senior year, I did the honors marketing program, which was and to that point in my life, the hardest thing I had ever done. And it was like, oh, you think you've done enough? No, keep doing more. And that really put in me like the, just because you say it's over doesn't mean it's over. There's still more to do and there's still more to learn. So I thought they did a great job in that sense. I think now their entrepreneurship program wasn't big when I was there, but now it's grown and it's really like phenomenal. And, but I think also combined with that is, it, it's, it's, it's a 50-50. It's like, it's on the university to set the right systems in place to enable growth and to challenge students. Uh, but at the same time, it's on, I think the students, it's on them, it's on us to approach college the right way. And I'll tell you a specific example or thing I can say with that is my mindset when I was a student was I'm here to learn. Okay. So for any class that I really cared about, I approached it from a learning perspective, not from a get an A perspective. So that meant, like, I never crammed for a test. It's funny because I go back to, like, my dad making me study progressively over the course of, like, months in advance to a test. So the same approach I took in college was, what am I, like, what am I going to get out of this? I'll get a good grade today if I cram overnight. I might get a good grade tomorrow. But the second I walk out of that room, I'm going to forget everything that I memorized. I didn't learn it. I memorized it. Sure. And so that's the mindset I took to it. And I kind of carried this philosophy that I'd rather get a C or a B and learn a lot than get an A and learn nothing. As it turns out, if you learn something, you do get the A. And I I got a lot of pretty good grades in college. But that's what I think more people need to take because I don't think people associate why they're like what they're there for with how it can help them ultimately. And I think they treat it too much, like say like high school or middle school where you're just like the the validation aspect of like the A versus the whatever means you'll kind of like do whatever, like to just to get the grade, but not necessarily to do it, which which, getting the grade, I'm not saying wipe out getting grades because we need to have standards, but getting grades is external validation. So you've got to figure out how do you make an internal validation and do it for yourself. Because if you really care about something, you'd want to learn it. And then that also affected the classes I chose to take. Like, what do they call them? Paper classes? Like where you can just, it's like an easy A class. Right. I probably took like one of those. But I kind of used those extra classes I could pick to like take interesting topics. Uh, And that's actually how I ended up being a graphic design minor, actually. So is that type of learning worth the fifty or $100,000 in debt that you could potentially graduate with? Well, and I think it's, there's got to be a better way to figure out the payment system. And I'm not the person, while I'm a, I have liberal viewpoints, I'm not in like the Bernie Sanders camp of 
everyone has to have free college because I just don't think it's feasible. That money's going to have to come from somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we can just keep taxing the cigarette companies and expecting them to pay to pay for like this kind of stuff. I do think there's a more there should be a more affordable way, and perhaps we're getting there. Um, so yeah, I don't know if it should be so expensive. And I think overall, there's kind of a college. A lot of colleges are businesses, right? And they're looking at profit and revenue. Sure. So in that sense, it can definitely be updated. But if you take the and I was also fortunate that I didn't have any loans. Like I had a little bit of scholarship money, and then my my parents have so highly valued education that they put away enough that. My college was funded, which is, I don't think I appreciated it at the time, but I mm-hmm. really do now because I have friends who are still paying off their of loans, course. right? Of course. So I can't give it from the perspective of having felt the pain of paying off loans. Mm-hmm. But what I can say is I think I squeezed every penny out of that, educa- that education in a good way. That's great. Did you pay... Uh, how much did you pay for your yoga teacher training and how did it compare to what you learned at university? Um, I think yoga training was like $2,500. Okay. And how did it compare? I guess, can you reframe the question? Uh, what did you learn in your yoga teacher training and how valuable did you feel that that form of education compared was compared to your university education? I think it's a tough question because it's such a concentrated like time period when you're doing the teacher training. Mm-hmm. I think it was very good for self-exploration. Obviously, I learned the actual practice of teaching yoga and leading students but I actually think the parts that I, I, I think what I, it's almost like you got to go back to what's the approach you take to it. Right. You know? And I, and I actually wrote down before going into the training, I am discarding everything I think I know about yoga going into this. Cool. And I am going to take everything with an open mind. Cause I think once you start practicing enough, you feel like, you know, you're like, you know it really yeah, well. Yeah, you form your own views and exactly. opinions on it. And so I think the old me would have been like, I know this. Everything I learned here is like cherry on top or like whatever. I know it. I don't need to pay attention. But I, I, I took the opposite and I was like, it was almost like, I know nothing, but teach me everything. Um, which I think is a lot of how I approached school, which I guess at that point I didn't know a whole lot and I did have to be taught everything. So... And when I look at format too, right, like smaller group setting, there was like 10 of us. And what were a lot of my classes? 20, 30 people. Um, interactive. What were the classes I got the most out of in college? Group project. Figure out how to work together as a team. Come up with a solution without us telling you what the answer is. I actually didn't have a ton of exams in college besides like the prerequisite classes. It was a lot of projects and writing papers, which I think is a better output actually. And giving responsibility, I think that was a similarity too. Being given responsibility for something. So like in my training, which I did at Bare Feet Power Yoga here in Chicago, which is where I practice normally, they, on day one, they put us in front of a real class and you had to work your way through teaching a sun salutation. 
Wow. And I know there are a lot of teacher trainings that the entire time you're there, you cannot be in front of a live class until you have a certificate in your hand. I think that's the wrong approach. But in, in our teacher training, every single day of training, we taught portions of a class. And then the graduation final, quote unquote, was teach an entire class by yourself and create your own sequencing for that. We're not going to tell you what to teach. You have to create it yourself. And when I look back at the things I did in college, things I got the most value, that honors marketing program, it was like, here's the project. You're going to be broken out into five groups or whatever of five or so people. Figure it out. We're going to give you key objective and goal, but we're not going to give you very much guidance at all. And you've got to take it upon yourself to figure out who's the leader of this group, who's going to take on what role, and how are you going to get to this end solution? Sure. And there's different approaches for different people, but I specifically like that approach. And you said it's about self-discovery, which was what your yoga class was about, your yoga teacher training. But also, that's what college is about. Yeah. You know, that's a huge... Well, and that, again, and this is... The, the college argument is so interesting because I feel like for our age group, I'm like in the minority of being like, yeah, I really like what college does because I think I had a really good experience and I think it still sort of pays me back to this day and the fact that I'm tapped into like an awesome alumni network. There are resources at DePaul I still go to. I am a mentor now for some students there. Excuse me. <coughs> That's you. That was a cough. I know it was. As soon as I said it, I was like, damn it. He doesn't like to be blessed. Nice to know. He's giving me blessings on blessings. So it's more so I would say the training, while it didn't technically end with the training, there are a lot of resources I can go back to at DePaul. And I think a lot of professional things have happened for me because of the education I got there. So it's not just like, Again, it is too expensive. There should be a way to figure it out. I don't know what that way is. It is way too yeah, expensive. It's, it's incredibly expensive. But when I hear people being like, you just need to, like I think Daniel and I will probably always see opposite ends of this. When it's like, no, just like pick a skill that can make you money and develop that skill to an extent. Because I think one of the big things you get out of college is learning how to be on your own in an environment that is new to you and figuring out how to interact with people and learn who you are. Do you need to pay 50 grand for that? Probably not. You could get paid in a lot of cases to be able to do that by joining the workforce in something that would educate you, would you would be able to learn from. Yeah, in some degrees, yes. So or not not degrees of education, but in some senses, yes. That that totally makes sense. But I think there are a lot of people who need like who need like the testing grounds first, you know? Sure. And, I mean, I was pretty smart coming out of high school, but I didn't have any idea how to actually, like, operate inside of a business environment. But I took, like, four internships in college and combined that with the education, and I felt pretty prepped when I graduated. And even then, it's like, all right, but you're still at the bottom rung, so you got to figure it out now as a professional, and so on and so forth. So you probably don't love my answer uh, related to this, but my kind of my – Ultimate answer is, yeah, we should figure out how to make it less expensive, but I do think there's a ton of value in higher education. Sure, and and I got a lot of value out of my own education, and I just went back to my university, won an award. 
uh, at my university and they came back and honored me and, and it was great. And I have mixed feelings about my time there. I had the bla a blast, best four years of my life. Yeah, it could probably be said so. Uh, although the last four years traveling, See, that's what I'm probably saying. Like, better. I've had, so, I've had a great time coming out of college. More, certainly, 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 travel and everything that I've done since then uh, has taught me more. Absolutely, I think it's taught me more. But that was a failure. Comparing apples and oranges here, it, it's very difficult. Uh, if I was 18 and went traveling and started to surf and do yoga, who knows? I would have probably turned out a giant hippie. I mean, I really, <laughs> I really don't know how that right. would have ended, if that would have been the right technique, <laughs> uh, if that was my parents' yeah. parenting strategy. So you're saying today you're not a giant. <laughs> right, right. I'm doing my best uh, to embrace my inner hippie, uh, my my inner hippie, uh, but in to, a functioning world. <laughs> in a yeah, in a functioning world, and not to mention that I came. I went to a very conservative business school. I come from a conservative upbringing. Yeah, I discovered things about myself when I was like, oh yeah, the, all the bullshit that's been put in my head. It's not what I actually think, and and I joke about, or you joke about me being a, a hippie, uh, but it's just an op. I've taken the opposite point of view, and I have. I do agree with Daniel for the most part about saying, all right, go into the workforce, or go and travel, or uh, take workshops that you're very interested in to be able to gain those skills and a college degree isn't worth what it was years ago or start a business right out of school and figure that out or have multiple internships and you could actually come out not in a huge amount of debt mm -hmm. and come out ahead that way. Uh, but yeah, should you learn one thing and uh, follow the advice at age 18, what your mentor, this guy with the leadership podcast told you, hey, you, you don't want to be a mile wide and an inch deep. At 18 to 22, that's a really good time to be a mile wide yeah. and an inch deep. I think, yeah, you have to have your own exploration time so that you figure out what's right for you. And I think also, I mean, as I hear you say those things back, it's like, I agree with college for a lot of people, but college and what else? It's not enough to just go to class right. and do your homework and that's it. There's got to be something else you care about that you're doing on the side or in conjunction with. I mean, like when I was a student, I also worked at any given time, two or three jobs, plus created and ran the undergraduate marketing club there. I don't say it's to brag. I'm just saying like... No, it's exactly I, what I, I did. I would, yeah, right? Like you, were, you did the um, Young Entrepreneur Council. The, yeah, the Collegiate Entrepreneurs okay. Organization. And it's like... That's that idea of like do well, don't just do, right? Um, figure out what's better than just the standard and go for like chase, you know, above what the bar says, like raise the bar, that kind of, you know, whatever, whatever cheesy phrasing you want to put on it, you have to take it upon yourself. It is, I think probably ownership starts here. You've got to take it upon yourself to understand this is your future you're trying to create at the end of the day. 
and I can talk about all this now. Like I'm 28. We'll see how I think in 10 years. Cause I'm as much as I can say now, I'm also very cognizant of the fact that I'm still largely like in the thick of it. This is how I feel right now with a lot of this stuff. And I feel pretty good about those things, but I know it could change when I get to 35 and have some extra life experiences. Um, I mean, I'm sure you carry different beliefs than you did seven years ago. Oh, my God. I'm not the same person at all. <laughs> I don't even recognize that person in photos. With the baggy jeans and the short hair. Right. <laughs> right. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm widely cognizant of the fact that I'm still in the thick of a lot of it, but I can at least at this point speak on what I have experienced to, to this point. And I love the fact. This is what I like about entrepreneurship. I'm, there's so much more I don't know yet, and I like can't wait to figure out what are those things that I'm yet to learn. That when I get, you know, it's like the first business idea element didn't work out. Man, did I learn a ton out of that. That I am now applying to this business, Garage Nation Innovation. That's why it's working so far. But I'm also where you know what this might not pan out. Not nothing is for sure, and. I have to be okay with that too. I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that's not the case. But there's some, there's, there's things I don't know yet that are still out there for me to learn. And I don't even know what those things are that I'm really excited to figure out and ultimately learn. And I think the way I have to look at it to keep my sanity amidst all this is just, it's just like creating music. A business is an album. And as much as I love what I'm doing right now on the business side, I might get tired of it in a year, two years, five years, whatever it might be, and want to do something else. And rather than look at that as, oh, God, he's starting another business, people or I can look at that as, you know what, I found a better way to pursue this interest. Because really, what, going back to the idea of expression and storytelling, that's how I'm like making my decisions. Am I living up to that, to those two ideals? to the purpose of bringing expression into the world and that vehicle of storytelling. And today, what I have found is this is my vehicle helping startups. It might not be my vehicle later on, but I think as long as I pursue the idea of the expression of the storytelling, I'll be okay. Cause I'm going to find what's the next, you know, what's the next way for me to pursue that. And if it's like an album, right? Like idea element, that was an album put out the tracks, released the album, it's done, it's on to the next project. Didn't end it, like I wouldn't have predicted that ending, and I think I was so closely attached to it that I like, I thought, some, you know, I, I couldn't believe we were shutting down that business. But now that I'm able to take a step back, it's like, okay, you know what, that was the, that was the first album of the entrepreneurship journey. Well, I'm my second album right now. I'm gonna finish this album at some point. Not tomorrow or not in the near future, but I am gonna finish this album. And there's going to be another album after that and after that and so forth. And that's how, because I'm chasing the skill and not the, not necessarily the output or not necessarily the tangible thing. That's how I'm bringing it back home. I'm reconciling all this stuff. Damn. I, I love that. I want to leave people with how they can be multi-passionate forever how they can continue to come up with new innovations new ideas but i do want to ask you what'd you learn more college 
or your business. <laughs> Man, you love <laughs> I love it. I love it. I can't stop. Um, I think college prepped me okay. for the business world and for how to, you know, it gave me the start. It was like the starter kit almost. I'll say this. I think I have learned, and I can't say because I haven't done a graduate program. I haven't done an MBA. But at least from my own perspective, I've learned everything I possibly could have learned getting a master's degree minus having built-in connections with a master's degree. Like, you know, like, the, hey, I'm a graduate student. Oh, this person's in that network or whatever. Sure. But I think education-wise, I've, like, self-taught or self-learned probably everything I would learn in a master's program for sure. But had I not had the rigor of higher education with college, I don't think I would be prepped to do entrepreneurship under graduation. I wouldn't be in the position I am now of actually starting a business. Okay. Or second business, I should say. And anybody listening out there without a college degree doesn't mean you have to start a business. Just talking here from the other <laughs> end of the table uh, at this argument. But uh, let's, let's bring it back to being multi-passionate. I love how you equated it to albums and making music and i think of you know when when you said oh i'm 28 uh if i haven't thought about doing music now when will i ever i'm really maybe i'm just idealistic and maybe it's just because i don't have kids yet (laughs) but i really like to think that at 58 there's no reason that you couldn't drop an album just be this right. old ass brown rapper. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, come on. Like, why? Like, how can we continue to. There's so many things I want to do in this lifetime. And yeah, my brain does go really, really wide. There's lots yeah. of things that I want to discover. I know right now that I have to hit this thing that I'm hitting right now. Uh, with under 30 experiences in my current business, I need to try to hit the home run or, or hammer that home and not squander that opportunity and opportunity that I have right now to make impact. But there are other things that I want to do down the road. So how can people who, especially because you talk to people in startups all the time, when they're pursuing one thing and they know this is the thing right now, but they don't want to lose that confidence uh, or they don't want to lose that momentum or that passion to say, Hey, maybe I can launch that rap career. Maybe I can do become a personal trainer in the future. Maybe I can end up uh, being a meditation teacher or a yoga teacher, which I would love to do in the future, but I know now is not the right time. How can people continue to foster that mindset? This is a really good question. And I, you're right. There's nothing preventing me from being 58 and you know what I'm saying? You know what? Screw it. I'm going on tour or something like that. Hell right? yeah. I think the caveat I should have said earlier is that, and you're right, you know, like you might decide you want to teach yoga. Like there's going to be a day, I would imagine, when you say, you know what? It's time for me to step away from under 30 experiences and pursue the next album or whatever, right? And that's okay. And I think you're very smart about picking like what, is it, what makes the most sense right now. Now, my caveat to saying, you know what, I'm 28 and I haven't pursued, which isn't that old, and I haven't no, pursued rap yet. Point. Yeah. The caveat is that the root of passion is passy, which means to suffer. And I have not yet been willing to suffer for music. 
But if there's something you're willing to suffer for, like I'll do yoga even when I don't feel like it, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, I do the business stuff even when I don't feel like it. I'm willing to suffer for these things. I have not, at least yet, been willing to really suffer for music. And that's where, that's what you have to look at. Otherwise, it's a hobby you're doing. Maybe you put a lot of effort into it or time into it, but it's a, I know right now, at least it's not the thing for me to go down the music route full force because I'm not willing, like, like I was saying before, like the grind I wasn't willing to, to do. And if I'm not even willing to, like, I don't know how to make beats, okay? If I'm not even willing to learn how to learn Pro Tools, or I use GarageBand, even learn the full swath of GarageBand, I'm not really willing to suffer for it. Whereas, in this business world, I may look into all the elements of how I can help better tell a startup story, but I'm also going out of my way to network with venture capitalists, even though they're not the ones who are going to pay me money. I know it can help my clients if I can connect them with venture capitalists. Uh, I'm also willing to go out of my way to learn how to financials work in a startup. I hate finance, but I am willing to go out of my way to figure out like pro forma financial modeling and figuring out cost per acquisition, not for myself, but so I can speak to it better for my clients and better serve them. And like, that's what I'm saying, right? Like, the things I don't like, I'm still willing to do. In the music world, at least yet, the things I don't like, I just choose not to do. And that's not an indicator of success, I don't think, or of really wanting to, of sticking with something uh, when things are going to not be easy. Okay, so in 10 years, are we going to be sitting here having the conversation that, and it doesn't have to be rapping, right, that we can go out and launch new businesses and try new things and discover new passions. Maybe you'll have something else down there. Do you, do you Probably, you know, there's something I don't know yet, but again, I'm still kind of young and you are extremely <laughs> fucking young, man. I mean, I've only been a working professional for what, six years. It's not a whole long time. You're pretty washed up. <laughs> not well, I mean, if I was a tennis player, I'd be hitting my downhill years. Right. <laughs> But look at, Kobe, look at Kobe, 40, I don't know how old he is, 41 maybe. He's going head first into the startup game. Yeah. And he's going to be doing that for a long time, I bet. Yeah. And I think more, actually, I think more athletes should become investors. Um, I think it's a great option for them to do something with their money and to put something back into a community and help people. But yeah, it's, again, it's, it's the album mindset. It's, and it's the album mindset coupled with chasing the skill, not necessarily chasing the paper, chasing the dollar sign, chasing the whatever tangible output. It's looking at what's the best, what's the skill I care about developing. Here, here's how I'll put it. I think the questions we need to ask ourselves, the main deep questions is, what is the skill I really want to develop? For me, it's storytelling. I don't know, like for some people, maybe for some people it might be like analysis, right? What's the skill I want to develop? How do I want to make people feel? And what are the things I can do to make those happen so that I have an impact that I'm proud of having at the end of the day? And again, at some point, I'm not going to care about the startup community or I just won't want to work in that community anymore. 
and want to get into something else. It's not that hard to, to make that transition. If you understand the skill you're developing, you understand there's a finite end point to things, and you look at what are you actually willing to sell. Like I wasn't part of the yoga community two years ago. Or two and a half years ago, I started practicing yoga. March 1st of 2015, I was not part of the yoga community. Now I'm a leader in the, I just finished teaching classes to 300 people in Millennium Park. Wow. And I wasn't even in this community two and a half years ago. But what did I look at? I, it was like a skill I wanted to develop. And I, it, it doesn't, and I don't say to say, like, oh, it's just that easy. It just came so simply. No, like I was, like I told you before we recorded, February 1st of this year, I was 30 day, 28 days away from giving up and saying, I just got to go get a job. But then I dug deep, right? Because I'm willing to suffer for it. And I'm willing, and I, and I built up a resilience profile. The, you know, yoga stuff last summer, I was like, I love this practice so much. I would think I could teach this really well. I'd love to do it. And I think it would make me, a, I think it would better round out my skill set of public speaking and being able to improvise and be in front of a room and all that stuff, right? So that's what I chased. And it's hard to say, because again, it's still pretty new and I'm in the thick of it. But it's working so far, and I feel like as long as I live up to the, the ideals that I'm setting for myself, the, the what's at the end of the day, the outputs are going to, I don't want to get too like, oh, universe, give it to me, you know, that kind of thing. That kind of, universe, give it to me. Oh, you know, not, not like, oh, the universe will just put it in my lap, that kind of thing. But that gives me the mindset and the frame of reference to best understand what's the best use of my skills today and then in five years, what's the best use of my skills then? And then when I'm 60 and you see me dropping a music video on hologram, because that's what will be the standard then, and I got strippers dancing on me and I'm just oh, flashing money, 60-year-old Raj with a huge gut, <laughs> then you'll know. Well, you know what, at that point, that's the, that's the output. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you're open to it, then that can happen. I think. No, I. I, I thought you were going to say if you're open to it. No, you'll be my no, stripper. no. <laughs> if you're if you're open to okay, call it the universe. If you're open to the universe bringing you those things, then that's okay. Then you can go and be multi-passionate when you're 60 years old or something like that. You can start new things, but you have to be open to it. Your mind has to be open to it. You have to, sure, be open to receiving, but also open to suffering a little bit. And uh, sure, people people think that it's just a gift from the universe, but then you got to put in the work, even though these opportunities are presented in front of you. And at 28... You have a lot more energy to do those things. At 58, you might not. But if we continue to take care of ourselves, we'll be able to have that uh, longevity and that ha have long careers where we can do lots of different things. And if you – you're right. It's if you're open to it, right? That's how, quote-unquote, the universe gives you things in the sense that you start to take on the behaviors that would indicate you can accomplish the thing. So it's the story you tell yourself. If you tell yourself, I am not a blank, you're right. You're not, and it's never going to happen. 
and, and what really, what I always find so interesting is someone's like, oh, I'm not a, like, say, like, you're out. Ah, I'm not a dancer. I'm not going to do that. Okay. Then you won't. Right. You miss the like, dance I like with to your move. future yeah. hot wife. Yeah. But if you're like, I like to move. Okay. Then you can dance. Yeah, just, you just know what? Actually, this, I, unintentionally, this is what my TED talk was about: was that idea of "but I'm not" versus because I, I totally that came full circle for me just now. But I wasn't trying to do that. No. <laughs> well done, though. Well done. Be, before we go, will you uh, give everybody just a little synopsis of your TED talk, and we'll link it up in the show notes? Yeah, it was about the title is "How to Become an Expert in Vulnerability." My thesis statement for it is that the process of expertise. We always look at it, at experts and expertise, as outcome-focused, and we hold ourselves back with the three words, but I'm not, because we only think about the highest outcome of it. I want to start a business, but I'm not an entrepreneur, but I'm not good at that, right? But how do you become an entrepreneur? By saying, I'm going to do this, and then a shit ton of trials and errors and failures, and ultimately, like, that's what makes you an entrepreneur. You don't just have the outcome on day one. So the idea is that, but I'm not, is inherently limited because it's outcome-focused. And if we don't see we can achieve the outcome tomorrow, we hold ourselves back. So my sort of take on it is being vulnerable about it in the sense of reframing it to because I am. So if you look at... I want to start a business because I am interested in serving people in this specific way. Because I am really good at this specific skill or this specific type of work and so on and so forth. And that makes you, like the vulnerability there is in actually acknowledging it's what you want and, and admitting, not admitting, but saying to yourself, this is what I'm capable of. And what that inherently does is make you process-oriented as opposed to outcome-oriented. And my sort of my take-home line is the basis... Well, so process creates progress, and the basis for progress is vulnerability. Well, maybe at age 60, <laughs> I will be open to releasing my own rap video, with, complete with strippers. Yeah. And if I'm open What's your rap to video? it... Oh, Oh, God. I have no idea. Uh, I was teaching my nieces wanted to know Spanish. Okay. Learn Spanish. They're three and a half. They're twins. They already know uh, Japanese, Cantonese, Jeez. Mandarin, and English. So, they, of course, obviously, they would be interested in Spanish. And uh, so... They wanted to know what Uncle Matt was in, in Spanish. And... Uh, Tio Mateo kept on, got on really quick, uh, caught on very quickly. That's a terrible rap name. I don't know why I would I kinda share like it. that. Tio no, Mateo. I, I don't like that at all. But if I'm like a 60 year old dude still <laughs> living in Latin America, uh, also my nieces just dropped it to uncle and they can just scream uncle very loudly at okay. any time. It'll usually come running, which is, which is bad. Uh, Man, let's stay open to these things and uh, hope we can encourage other people to have uh, have long careers and, and just active lives in general and go after things that, you know, 
it's so interesting that you talked about passion with the suffering because not many people have never heard it equated like that. People just think it's something that gets you fired up about, but you do have to put in the work. Even on your worst day, you're still willing to do it. Even if you don't want to do it, you will still do it. Awesome. Awesome. Raj Nation, innovation, the Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. Where else can they find out about you online? Uh, I actually, I recently created a, a landing page, www.therajnation.com, which is, it links out to the podcast, my business, Raj Nation Innovation, um, my music, uh, my yoga. So that's got, that's the hub for all of it. It's just a one page site. You know, I couldn't get rajnation.com because it was taken by some water skiing team whose name is the Rock Aqua Jayhawk, so R-A-J. Oh and so God. their website is Raj Nation, so I had to get the therajnation.com. But now it's like, I not all these posts out here, I'm the one. <laughs> there you go, Raj Nation, the Raj Nation, and Matt Wilson signing off. Yo, Live Different Podcast listeners, you know what to do. You love the episode if you listened this far. Go to iTunes. Show us some love. Please, that's all we ask. A little five-star review. Just a little review. That's all we need. Send it to a friend who needs to get their ass in gear. We're trying to do good work here, and we need your help. Hey, you know what? Special offer. Send me an email personally. I will write back. Matt at under30experiences.com. I want to know your feedback, and then... I want to meet you in person. Maybe our yoga retreat, maybe our fitness retreat, who knows? Check out under30experiences.com. Go do something awesome with your life.